0: I carry is gone forevermore. My steps that once were feeble are bound for heaven's shore. I'll keep on climbing upward till I receive my crown. But until that happy, happy day, I just won't turn around. Well, I won't.
1: Let's all stand to our feet. That's great, is Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's have our men come and let's gather around the altar. Let's take this service to the Lord. This is the Lord's day. This is the Lord's house. And you are the Lord's people. And let's just let our Lord meet with us today. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will help us, Lord, to be faithful to you in light of your faithfulness to us. Father, help us to just keep on keeping on. Help us to love you, serve you, follow you. You've done so much for us. Lord, I pray that we'll just in some small degree repay you by just holding on, being faithful to you and serving you. Father, you know the needs in this service, and we thank you for bringing us here, for letting us come as God's people to worship. And if there's someone here today that does not know you, they're not saved, I pray you'd speak to them today. I just pray that the name of Jesus Christ will be exalted. He'll be magnified in everything that is said and done. You are good to us, and we thank you for it. Bless now this service. we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Let's worship as we sing.
0: God is good. God is good.
1: turn around and shake hands and fellowship. Welcome our visitors. Introduce yourself. Set of ushers come forward to receive our offering this morning, and let me say I appreciate all of you that are visiting with us today, and I see several new faces, and we are certainly pleased and thrilled about you being here. And if you are visiting with us, we'd like for you to just to take a moment to fill out a visitor's card. If you were given a bullet since you came in this morning, there's a card in there that you can use. If not, there's some cards located in the back of the pews. But if you take a moment to mm-hmm. fill one out, we'd like to get to know you, and we'd also want to send you some information this week about ourselves, but we are glad that you're here and appreciate all of you being in the services. Real quickly, let me just make mention of two or three very, very important things. Tonight in the evening service, Dr. Tim Lee will be with us, and many of you, uh, of course, he's been with us before, and what a blessing Brother Tim is, been with us in revival meetings, special services, and different things. But uh, you don't want to miss tonight. I wonder if anybody, anybody here has never heard Tim Lee before. Anybody? Several of you. You don't want to miss tonight. Brother Tim was uh, lost both his legs as a Marine in Vietnam, but uh, God has used him, and he is a blessing. You want to be here tonight, 630. Tim Lee will be here in the services. And also, we have some of his testimonies in the back as you go out and you pick these up. Get as many as you want, pass them around. And I would encourage you today to call family members and friends, and let them know about the service tonight. If you've got a family member that is unsaved or somebody that's away from the Lord, tonight it would be a tremendous service for you to get them in. So call them tonight, today, and invite them to be in the services. So don't forget that tonight. Brother Tim Lee, be in the services. And then next Sunday's homecoming. That's always a special day here. And just a few things about homecoming I want to say about, like, for the food and different things. There'll be some ladies over in the Family Life Center next Sunday morning. We encourage everybody just to bring covered dishes and different things like that, but there'll be some ladies over there, so when you come in, just take your food there. They'll take care of that and set it all up, but uh, we're looking forward to a great day. Not only is it homecoming, but it's also the beginning of our Bible conference. Brother Tom Hayes will be here next Sunday, Brother Don Whaley will be here next Sunday, and then many of our guests will be coming in on Monday, and it looks like we have a large number coming in again this year, so we're excited about the Bible conference, but all of that starts next Sunday. Also, we'll be dedicating the new addition to the building. Is a few little odds and ends that are yet to be completed, but uh, we'll be trying to get those done this week. All the new furnishings will be put in there this week, and so Lord willing, uh, we're going to have everything completely done next Sunday. Maybe one little odd and end may not be done, but uh, most of it will be done, but we'll dedicate that next Sunday. We have several special guests that will be with us that were involved in the construction, and so they'll be with us next Sunday as we uh, dedicate the new uh, addition on the building and things like that. So you don't want to forget that. Got a two next two weeks are just jam-packed and a lot of exciting things. But don't miss tonight, and also be praying now for the Bible conference and everything that's going on. We will be having our regular deacons meeting tonight. We didn't have it last Sunday night. We'll have it tonight. Also, the mission committee will be meeting as well. The mission committee will be meeting in the believers class, and the deacons will be meeting in the uh, conference room across the street. And also, Awana is getting kicked off, and we'll be uh, dedicating or asking God to bless the Awana year and all the uh, Awana leadership tonight and at the end of the service. So all of you that work in Awana, Uh, We'll be having our Awana leadership dedication tonight at the very end of the service, and Brother Kevin wants to encourage all of you to wear your uniforms, and also he wants to meet you at 615 in the Watts class, all of you in Awana. So a lot of things going on, exciting things, and I hope that you're looking forward to them as much as I am. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to bless the service this morning, or the offering. Father, thank you again for the privilege you have been able to give to you, and what a joy it is to worship through our giving. Bless the offering now. Bless all the things that are happening. I pray the hand of God to be on them all. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: To be Lord of Lords They shall bow in the power of His name.
3: When I was bound by those old chains of sin. Hallelujah! He came to me when I possessed no. to do is just ask. He said, you have not because ye ask not. All you have to do is ask. The Lord is waiting for you this morning. Hallelujah. Would you praise His name this morning? He is worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Praise the Lamb of God. possibly afford no way I could come to Him from where I was to His demand see so far all I could do was cry oh Lord I just can't come where you are. I possess no hope within. They searched through heaven and found a savior just one to save a poor lost soul like me.
2: Savior oh, Hallelujah His heart was broken
3: On Calvary Father forgive me For they know not what they did With hands that were nailed his name this morning.
1: Let's all stand. These folks are still praying down here. If he hadn't come, we wouldn't be going. You realize that? He's such a wonderful, wonderful Savior. You know that song Ronnie just sung. Let's sing the chorus to it. Let's sing it from our heart. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's sing it from our heart. Sing it out to him. Sing it. That's what worship is all about, is your heart being extended to Him and just worshiping Him. And let's sing that chorus together. Rick, you lead us while they continue to pray. There may be others who want to come and pray. That's what this altar is for. I've said this before. i said say it again. It don't make a hill of beans to me when you come to the altar. You come at the first of the service, middle of the service, and the end of the service. If you've got needs, all I care about is you come and let God meet those needs. Let's sing this And just worship as you sing it. Amen. Oh, what a Savior. Sing it out to Him. Hallelujah. Praise His name. Amen. Calvary. Sing it to the Lord. His hands were nailed. Scarred. His side was driven. He gave his life's blood for even me. Are you glad you're saved? Say amen. amen. Just remain standing. Reach down and pick up your Bibles and be turning to the book of Acts chapter 4. I appreciate those who have already come this morning, some we've been praying for and glad to see you coming and doing business with the Lord. What a blessing. What a blessing. Every once in a while, somebody will visit here and they'll, I've had a couple of few times someone say, you folks are not the average Baptist. And I want to, I feel like quickly saying, and we're not charismatic either. I, I usually know that's what's coming, but I won't say this. Jesus is worthy of our praise. Amen. And you ought to praise Him. And you may not agree with this, but you've got every... You, got, you have the right to be wrong. But I want... You look at the subject of praise in the Bible. Study it any way you want to study it. And you'll find that praise in the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, is both vocal and visible. You cannot praise the Lord without it being vocal and invisible. So, well, I'm the kind of person that just in my heart. Well, that's not what you're supposed to be. Can I get an amen there? Amen. When you get to heaven, it will be different. But you, it is. It is to be, and it it's an emotional thing that happens in your heart. That is to be physically expressed to the Lord in some way. Whether the lifting of your hands, whether the praise of your mouth, whatever it is. Anytime you look at praise in the Bible, any praise, It is always visible, and it's always vocal. You cannot praise the Lord without it being in those ways. So, it don't bother me. Help yourself, and you have a good time in the Lord, and I'll get right, as we used to say up home in North Carolina, it gets good enough, I'll be right slam in the middle of it. Amen? Look at Acts chapter 4. I want you to look at a text, and in particular, a verse of Scripture that's been on my mind for Uh, Several days, and just as I turned it over in my mind, these thoughts came to my mind as I looked at its context as well. But in Acts chapter 4, I want to begin reading in verse 1. We'll read down through verse 12. Verse 12 is the heart of the message today. But verse 1 of Acts chapter 4. The Bible said, And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Talking about Peter and John being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the of rep- about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means is he made whole? Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Thank You, you may be seated. This morning, I want us to think about a courtroom sermon. A courtroom sermon. And I want us to look at this courtroom scene And in particular, I want us to look at the sermon that Peter preached in this courtroom. Let's pray. Father, this morning in Jesus' name, we could stop right now and go home and say that it has been a joy to assemble together with the people of God this morning. You've already answered prayer. You've already met needs and hearts and lives, and we thank you for it. We thank you for being our Savior. And hallelujah, what a Savior. Now, Father, I ask you now to take the few thoughts that you put into my mind and into my heart and use them this morning in the service. Anoint me and fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Word become more than letters. May it be life. And I pray today that you'll speak to every heart from the youngest to the oldest. Glorify the name of Jesus Christ For it is in His name we pray, and for His sake we ask these things. Amen. I'm making confession to you this morning. One of the things, of course, I've told you before, I love to read mystery stories. I enjoyed reading a Lord Peter Wimsey story just this past week. But I enjoy mystery stories. But I'll tell you something else I really like. And I like movies that are built. Yeah, I'm a preacher, and I watch a movie once in a while. But I like movies that are built around a courtroom scene. I'm a Perry Mason, uh, Matlock kind of fellow. I like a courtroom scene. I don't know if it's the drama or the intensity of it or whatever there. I guess I got it from my great-grandfather, Maston Trivet. His favorite pastimes was coon hunting and going to the courthouse. If there was a court was in session in our county, my great-grandfather was there. He get somebody to drive him to town, and he would sit there hour after hour after hour, day after day after day, listening to the courts or the cases that were being tried in the court. I guess, guess I got that from him, but I just like court. I like trials. I like movies that are built around a trial or something like that. I think about court, and I think about trials. I think about something that I recently came across that were actual questions and statements that were made by lawyers in actual cases. And these are not made up. These were actual statements or questions that were asked by lawyers during a case. And i give you just a few of them. There were several of them, but i give you just a few. For example, one lawyer. Now, doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, in most cases, he just passes quietly away and doesn't know anything about it until the next morning? Another lawyer said... Question, what happened then? Answer, he told me, he says, I have to kill you because you can't identify me. Question, did he kill you? Another lawyer said, was it you or your brother that was killed in the war? Another lawyer, the youngest son, the 20-year-old, how old is he? Another lawyer, were you alone or by yourself? Another lawyer, question, I show you Exhibit 3 and ask you if you recognize that picture. Answer, that's me. Question, were you present when that picture was taken? (laughs) Another lawyer, Mrs. Jones, do you believe that you are emotionally stable? Answer, I used to be. Question, how many times have you committed suicide? And there were many others, but here's a couple that I really like. Question, have you lived in this town all your life? Answer, answer. Not yet. Another lawyer. Question. Do you recall approximately the time that you examined the body of Mr. Eddington at the Rose Chapel? Answer. It was in the evening. The autopsy started about 8.30 p.m. Question. And Mr. Eddington was dead at the time. Is that correct? Answer. No. He was sitting on the table wondering why wow, I was doing an autopsy. Well, there are many others. I'm sure it shocked some of you this morning. Uh, that lawyers make mistakes. But I like trials. I like court cases. And here in Acts chapter 4 is a trial. Here is a courtroom scene, a religious courtroom scene. And it's a court case or a trial that involves Peter and John. We read one moment ago in verses 1, 2, and 3, and as they spake unto the people, that is Peter and John preaching to the people, the priest the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Verse 2 Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day for it was now even time. They were bothered and disturbed by the fact they were preaching about Christ and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So they had them arrested. And on the next day Peter and John were brought before the religious court of that day verse 5 and 6 said it came, in the past, came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. The place was Jerusalem. And the temple court just outside the beautiful gate or the gate called Beautiful and where the crippled man was healed in Acts chapter 3 and we'll say more about him in just a moment. But the court consisted of the Sanhedrin that was made up of 71 members. They were the rulers, the elders, the head... The head of the chief families in Israel. The Sanhedrin were the interpreters of the law. They were the teachers of the people. And among the quorum that was present on this particular day, we have some that are named. There is, of course, Annas the high priest. There is Caiaphas, and there is John and Alexander. Verse 6 even has an interesting note there that all the kinfolk, all the family of Annas were gathered at this particular trial. But here's a courtroom scene. I want you to look at the trial And in particular, I want you to look at the message or the sermon that Peter preached in this courtroom, this courtroom sermon. And I point out three things about his sermon. The first is this. I want you to notice in his sermon the name he defended. There's the name that he defended in the sermon. You see this whole story here in Acts chapter 4 got started with the healing of a crippled man in Acts chapter 3. And you know the story, it's a very familiar story. Peter and John had gone to the temple at the ninth hour. And as they did so, they met this man that had been lame from his mother's womb. And you read in the story in Acts chapter 3, the man was healed. And the healing of this crippled man ultimately got them arrested and brought them into this courtroom scene here in Acts chapter 4. Well, as you look at Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, which are tied together, you'll find that there is a name that has a major force in all that is going on. You'll find that the name of Jesus Christ is a major force in the course of events in Acts 3 and Acts chapter 4. For example, look at Acts 3 and notice verse 6. That Bible said in Acts 3, 6, then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Look down in Acts 3, verse 16. And Peter is preaching to the people and he says, And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. Acts chapter 4 and verse 7, they ask the question, by what power or by what name have you done this? And in verse 10, Peter says, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and acts 4 verse 18 and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of jesus now what you see is that the name of christ was a very very important part of this trial and in this particular trial it was the name of jesus christ that peter defended now let me point out two things about the name of christ that peter defends in this particular trial For one thing, he defended the might of his name. He defended the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You see, in Acts chapter 3, the crippled man had been healed with the simple words, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And when Peter and John was asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? They replied, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus... Even by him doth this man stand before you whole. You see, this man, this crippled man, had been healed through the mighty name of Jesus. It was a name of might. It was a name of authority. It was a name of power. As we sung just a moment ago, chains are broken by the sins, chains are broken by the name of Jesus. Peter defended the mighty name of Jesus Christ. May I say to you this morning? that every one of us in this room today that are saved, it was by the name of Jesus Christ that each one of us had a life-changing experience. Like the man in Acts 3, we were crippled by sin from birth. Like the man in Acts chapter 3, there was not one thing we could do to save ourselves, but by the name of Jesus Christ, And in the power and in the might of His name, we were transformed. I want you to know something this morning. There is power in the name of Jesus. You believe that? Say amen. Amen. There's power in the name of Jesus to change lives. Many lives by His name. Many of a drunkard has given up his bottle and started carrying a Bible. By His name, many of a foul-mouthed cursor has gone from a mouth filled with profanity to a mouth that is filled with praise. By His name, many have been taken off the low road and put on the high road. By His name, many that were the shame of the community have become the pride of the church. I'm talking about the name of Christ, a mighty name. I think about His name and the power of His name. I think one of the most thrilling accounts of the power of the name of Jesus Christ took place in the ministry of D.L. Moody. Many of you are familiar with that name, 1800s, the latter part of the 1800s, and American evangelist. But I read a story one time and read the account. And When Moody was in London, he had rented a hall, we we would call an auditorium, in the east end of London. And he was there for several weeks, and thousands were coming into the hall. But on one particular Monday, he planned a very unusual service with a very select group of people or a very select audience. He planned on one particular Monday to have a service for nobody but atheists and skeptics and what he called, what was called in those days as free thinkers. Well, that was during the time of Charles uh, Bradlaugh. He was the champion of atheism in that day. He was at his zenith. And when he heard about Moody's invitation, he told all the members of his clubs to go to the meeting. His idea was, we will show him uh, what he, will show this American evangelist And what he thinks there. So he encouraged all of the members, all of them in the clubs to go. And they did so. 5,000 men attended that particular Monday evening. Well, Moody got up and he began the service by asking the men to choose their favorite hymn. Which brought a laugh from all the men that had gathered there. Because an atheist has neither a song nor a hymn. But he broke the ice. And then Moody opened the Bible and he preached from the text, their rock is not our rock, our enemies themselves being the judges. And he poured a broadside of telling, touching incidents from his own experience of the deathbeds of both Christians and atheists. And he let the men be the judge of who had the best foundation on which to rest and hope. And that mass of men gathered there, sat, and they listened with a determined defiance stamped on their faces. But when Moody got through with the message, at the close of the message, he said, we're going to rise and we're going to sing, only trust Him. And he said, while we do so, the ushers are going to open the doors so that any man who wants to leave can leave and afterwards we'll have our usual inquiry meeting for those who desire to be led to the Christ. Moody later confessed that he expected the whole crowd to stampede and leave him with an empty hall but instead the great mass of five thousand men stood and sang and then sat down and not one man left the room moody said then i'll explain to you i want to explain to you four words that is the word receive and the word believe and the word trust and take him and after a few words about the word receive he made the appeal now who of you in this room tonight will receive him just say i will And from out in the audience, as a man cried out, I can't. And Moody said to him, he said, you have spoken the truth, my man. Glad you spoke. Listen, and you'll be able to say, I can before we are through. And then he began to explain the word believe. And after saying a few things about the word believe, he made his second appeal. And he said, now who will say, I will believe him? And again, someone hollered from the crowd and said, I won't. And when Moody heard the man say, I won't. He broke down and he began to weep and he burst into tears and he said, looked out over that vast audience of atheists and skeptics and freethinkers and he said, it is I will or I won't for every man in this hall tonight. And then he suddenly turned the whole attention of the meeting to the story of the prodigal son saying the battle is on the wheel and only there. When the young man said, I will arise, the battle was won for he had yielded his will and on that point all things hang tonight. And he said to him, he said, men, he said, I, he said, you have your champion in the man who said, I won't. And I want every man here that believes that man is right to follow him and to arise and say, I won't. And again, there was perfect silence and stillness and not one single man arose. And moody, his heart leapt for joy and he burst out. Thank God no man says, I won't. In the name of Jesus, who will say I will? And an instant, the Holy Spirit broke upon that meeting and 500 men stood to their feet. They were shouting, I will, I will, I will. And before that week was at over 2,000 of those men, got said, I'm talking about the powerful name of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the mighty name of Jesus Christ. It is a name so mighty that it can break an atheist and his unbelief. It is a name so mighty that it can change my life and change your life. It is the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And Peter said it is in his name, by his power, this man is healed. He defended the might of his name. But not only the might of his name, he defended the majesty of his name. For you see, in a stunning rebuke, Peter told him in verse 10 that the one they had crucified... God had raised from the dead. And you read in Philippians 2 verse 9 that in relation to Christ being raised from the dead that God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. What Peter was saying is declaring this is the exalted one, the one you crucified. God has raised from the dead. He was defending the majesty of the name of Jesus Christ. Peter was saying he is not only the powerful one but he is also the preeminent one. He defended the majesty of His name. The name of Jesus Christ. There is a name. I love to hear. What is that name? It is the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I never tire of hearing the name of Jesus Christ as someone has given us this acrostic on the name of Christ, taking each letter in the word name, He said the name of Jesus is there is no nobler name to proclaim. There is no abler name to pardon. There is no mightier name to praise and no easier name to pronounce. It is the name of Jesus Christ. Peter defended the name of Jesus. But look at something else. And here's the heart of the message. You not only see the name he defended in his sermon, but second of all, you see the claim he declared in his sermon. Now pardon me for just a moment. When I think about Peter and his preaching here, and I think about Peter, controversial figure that he was, well-known figure that he was, the talk of the town was of the one that had just been crucified some time back, a few months back. Peter, James, and John, all of these names were known all over the area then. Controversial, well-known figure. When I think about Peter and I think about what he said in his sermon. I can't help but think that if he'd been living in 2000, the year 2000, he would have been attacked, he would have been criticized, he would have been maligned, he would have been the subject of news stations and talk shows, no doubt, no doubt, he would have been discussed, he would have been the subject of discussion on Larry King Live. There is no doubt in my mind about it. And I say that because in our day and time, what Peter said is one of the most politically incorrect things that anybody could say. But Peter's a little bit like me. He didn't give a flip if he's politically correct. He wanted to be biblically correct. Get going get amen there? But what is it Peter said? Notice in verse 12. He said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, in our day and time, to say that every person needs to be saved and to say that only people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior will go to heaven is one of the most politically incorrect things you can say. I remember watching Larry King live one night. And uh, when during the Bob Jones issue, Bob Jones III was on there and they were discussing the matter. And the issue came up about how to be saved and who would go to heaven. I remember watching it one night. When they had these Jewish rabbis on there, had Doctor Al Moeller from Southern Seminary, extremely sharp man, had him on there and they were discussing this matter when the Southern Baptists had their evangelistic thrust of reaching out to Jews in the Chicago area. Everybody was upset. Everybody was just going to pieces and whatever there. And Larry King asked Muller, said, said, How do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? Al Mohler began to tell him how Christ died for our sins on the cross and that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and I remember Larry King asked him are you telling me that if Rabbi so and so over here does not believe in Jesus Christ that he'll not go to heaven and Al Mohler I love the way he responded he said I'm not telling you anything I'm merely God's messenger telling you what God says in his word and the word says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved I like that but in our day in time to say that the only that everybody needs to be saved and that the only those who know Christ will go to heaven one day is one of the most politically incorrect things to say. But that's what Peter said. I want you to look at the story. I point out two things. One thing Peter said, all people must be saved. He said in verse 12, in the latter part of verse 12, you read the words, we must be saved. Now, you listen to me. Peter declares that salvation is a necessity. Peter declares, and when he made the statement that we must be saved, he's saying that every Jew must be saved. Peter was saying that every Gentile must be saved if they expect to live in heaven one day. You listen to me this morning. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what religion you are. There is one thing that everyone I was having in common today, we must be saved. Peter made it very clear, you must be saved. I must be saved. That is something all of us share in common today. We must be saved. But to be saved implies that something happens to you. Many have the idea that going to heaven depends on something. They do. And they think that if they are religious... And it doesn't matter what religion you are, they will go to heaven. It's like we're all going down different roads, but we're all going to end up in the same place. And there are those who think that if you live a certain way, or you do certain things, then you'll go to heaven. I think about an interview. President uh, Hillary Rodden Clinton was in an in- being interviewed. Excuse me, I shouldn't have said that. That slipped out there. Uh, but uh, Hillary Clinton was being interviewed in, uh, back in May of this year, and and it was, they were asking her various questions about her Senate campaign in New York. And someone in the crowd asked a most unusual question for a political an environment, whatever, and like that. But someone got up and asked her this question. They said, if you were to die tonight, would you know if you would spend eternity in heaven or hell? Well, you could tell by the look on her face that she was absolutely surprised, but this is what she said. She said, I consider myself like any other person of faith to be doing the best I can. So I cannot tell you where I will be. I can only hope and pray that I'll find favor in God's eyes. I would say to Ms. Clinton or anybody else that believes like her, feels like her, that you can do the best you can, but you will not gain favor in God's eyes by doing the best you can. You can hope all you want to. You can pray all you want to. But you doing the best you can will not bring you favor in the eyes of God. Listen to me what the Bible said. You must be saved. Are you listening to me? Jesus made it very clear when he said to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say unto you except a man be born again. He cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. You listen to me. If a person expects to go to heaven, something's got to happen to him. If you want to go to heaven one day, then something's got to happen to you. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And if you want to go to heaven one day, you must be saved. That's what Peter said. But there's something else he said. Not only did he say that all people must be saved, second of all, he said all people need a Savior. Now, in order to be saved, you've got to have a Savior. Or to put it another way, you've got to have someone to save you. Now, Peter makes that very clear, but this is what he really makes clear. This is his claim. Peter makes it clear there are not several saviors, one for each religion. But Peter makes it very clear there is only one Savior. And Peter makes it very clear there is only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now this may not, now you listen to me, This may not be a politically correct statement to make that if a person does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will not go to heaven. It may not be, but I want you to understand something. Listen to me carefully. A Jew that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior is not saved. A Gentile, that's me, you, that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, will not go to heaven. And I realize that isn't one of the most politically incorrect statements a person can make in our generation, but it is biblically correct. Amen. Peter made it very, very clear that we must be saved, and he made it very, very clear, and this was his claim. He said to that Jewish tribunal that day, Listen to me. The only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ And the only way you'll go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I read about a man that arrived at the pearly gates. St. Peter met him and he asked him, denomination? He said, Methodist. Peter looked at his list and said, go to room 24, but be quiet as you pass room 8. Another man arrived at the gate of heaven. Peter said, denomination? And the man said, Presbyterian. He said, go to room 18, but be very quiet when you go past room 8. Another man came to the gates of heaven, and Peter said, Denomination? He said, Lutheran. He said, Go to room 11, but be very quiet when you pass room 8. And the man looked at me. He said, I can understand there being different rooms for different denominations, but why must I be so quiet when I pass room number 8? And Peter said, Well, the Baptists are in room number 8, and they think they're the only ones here. Well, I want to say to you this morning (laughs) that the only ones in heaven, regardless of whether you are a Methodist, Whether you are a Presbyterian, whether you are a Church of God, Assembly of God, Pentecostal, Catholic, Lutheran, or Baptist, the only people in heaven are those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This was his claim. He defended the name of Christ and he made this amazing claim that everybody needs to be saved. Everybody must be saved through Jesus Christ. And if a person doesn't come through Jesus Christ, there will be no hope Again, our generation don't like to hear that, but that is the message they need to hear, and it needs to be told and told and told and told and told and told. You must be saved, and the only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ. On one of these days, I'm going to heaven. No buts and nips about it. I mean, I'm going to heaven. I have no doubt about it. That's a settled issue in my life, settled a long time ago. But I want you to understand something. I am going to heaven because one Sunday morning, much like this, in an old altar in Boone, North Carolina, I knelt on my knees and asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. That's why I'm going to heaven one day. And that's the only way you can go to heaven. Well, there's a third and a final thing in his sermon. Are you still with me? I've been on vacation, so I'm well-rested up and got a long way to go. Hey amen. Look at the third thing. You see his sermon. There was a name he defended. The might of his name. The majesty of his name. There was a claim that he declared that all people must be saved and that all people need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. But thirdly, there was the shame he denounced in his sermon. Now, you listen to me. The whole issue this morning, whether or not a person will go to heaven, it depends on whether or not you receive Christ whether or not you reject Christ. And that's exactly. You see, this was a trial in which Peter was supposed to be tried, but he turned it around, and the court themselves found themselves on trial. And he addressed this issue of receiving and rejecting. For example, two things I point out in closing. One, he talked about a stone that was rejected. Verse 11, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Now, Peter turned their attention to a story that everybody in that Sanhedrin would have readily recognized, a story from Jewish tradition of how when Solomon was building the temple, stones were quarried and brought in from long distances. And there's a tradition in the Jewish tradition, there was a stone that was cut out to fit in a certain section of the temple. But when the stone arrived, it was rejected because of a flaw in that stone. It had been pronounced unfit by Jewish builders and thus was rejected. That was a story that all the Sanhedrin were very, very familiar about. Now Peter's getting ready to make a point. He's reaching back and taking a story out of their history to drive home this point. That second of all, not only was there a stone that was rejected, but there was a Savior that was rejected. You see, when he brought up that story, he was not only bringing up a story in their history, but he was also pointing them back to the Scriptures. Psalm 118, verse 22, the prophecy was given, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. What Peter is doing is reminding them and bringing to their attention that the one they crucified is the very one they had been looking for. That the one they had put to death was the very one, it was God's living stone. But they had rejected that stone. Here's what Peter said. He said, you have crucified the Messiah. You have rejected the very one that you've been looking for. What he's doing is not just dealing with that court, but as a nation as a whole, and reminding them that they were guilty of rejecting the very one that came to save them. Peter said to them, look, You must be saved. And there is no other way to heaven than through Jesus Christ and you have rejected Him. You have turned away the only one that can save you. I want you to listen to me this morning. I'm about through. There's only one reason God will let any one of us in heaven. Only one reason why any of us, any of us, I don't care how good you are I don't care how religious you are I don't care how mean you have been there is only one reason God let us into heaven and that's because we have received Jesus Christ Amen. there is only one reason why a person would die and go to hell and that is because they rejected Jesus Christ I remember a story I read one time I shared the story with you before Story about a man in the 18th century by the name of Archibald Boyle. He was a leading member of a wild and a wicked association of men in Glasgow, Scotland, known as the Hell Club. After one night at the club, he was he had a dream. He went home, he had a dream, and in the dream, he was riding home on a black horse. And suddenly in the darkness, someone reached out and seized the reins of his horse, shouting, you must go with me. And in his dream, Boyle desperately tried to force the reins from the hands of the unknown guide. But the horse reared and Boyle fell out of the saddle and he began to fall down, 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 and down with increasing speed. He cried out to his guide, where are you taking me? And in a cold voice, the guide replied, to hell The echoes of the groans And the yells of frantic revelry Assaulted their ears And at the entrance of hell Boyle saw the inmates Chasing the same pleasures They had pursued in life He even saw a lady at known Playing her favorite vulgar game And Boyle relaxed for a moment Thinking well maybe hell Hell may be a pleasurable place after all. And he asked the woman to rest and show him the pleasures of hell. And she shrieked, there is no rest in hell. And she unclasped the vest of her robe and displayed a coil of living snakes writhing about her midsection. And Boyle screamed, take me from this place. But the living God, whose name I have so often outraged, I beg you, let me go. And his guide replied, go then. But in, but in a year and one day we meet, depart no more. Boy awoke, feeling those last words were his letters of fire that he burned in his heart. He made a resolution, never go back to the the hell club again. But it wasn't just a matter of weeks, and he was soon drawn back in again. But he couldn't forget that night, and he grew haggard and gray under the weight of his conscience and the fear of the future. He dreaded attending the club's meetings, but his companions kept pulling him back in. And then at their annual meeting. Every nerve of his body writhed in agony at the first sentence of the president's opening address. Gentlemen, this is leap year, therefore it is one year and one day since our last annual meeting. After the meeting, Boyle mounted his horse to ride home. The next morning, someone found his horse grazing quietly by the roadside. And a few yards away lay the corpse of Archibald Boyle. True story. I think about the story of Archibald Boyle. And likes Boyle. on so many. Like so many. Boyle was warned. But he did nothing about it. Boyle had a chance. To do something about what he knew. Was in the future. But he didn't do anything about it. People know they need to be saved. But they continue saying no to Jesus Christ. I sit in this service. I see people that say no to Jesus Christ. God, by His grace, not me, listen to me. God, by His grace, is so designed this day. And so designed what I am doing, the preaching of His Word. So that in every generation there would be a voice to cry out, You must be born again. You must be born again. God in His plan, God in His wisdom has so devised it so that week after week and Sunday after Sunday, somebody is saying that you you must be saved and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no man can come to the Father by Him. But Sunday after Sunday, people say no. Like Mr. Archibald Boyle. One day it'll be too late. You listen to me. You look at Peter's sermon. Peter tells you three things. He tells you, one, you need to be saved. You listen to me? If you're in this room today, I want you to listen to me. You need to be saved. If you're in this room today, you listen to what God said. Don't, it's not just me. I want you to listen to me. By the authority of God's Word, ye must be born again. George Whitfield, that great British evangelist who came and died in this country, has said over 3,000 times as he thundered out the message, you must be born again. A big, loud voice Oh, Benjamin Franklin was just fascinated with the voice of George Whitfield, but they said three thousand times he preached, "You must be born again." And someone said, "Mr. Whitfield, why do you preach so much on you must be born again?" And he whirled around and said, "Because you must be born again." Amen. Peter said, "We must be saved." That's point number one. Second of all, he said, "The only way you can get saved is through Jesus." You can't get saved by living right. You can't get saved by religion. You can be a Baptist and go to hell. You can be a Catholic and go to hell. You can be a a Lutheran and go to hell. The only way you'll ever get saved is by coming to God's Son, Jesus Christ, and receive Him as your Savior. That's the only way you can get saved. There's not many ways to get saved. There's one way not a broad road. The broad road, Matthew says, leads to destruction. It's a narrow way. It's through Jesus Christ who died on Calvary's cross. Peter, point number one, you must be saved. Number two, you can only get saved through Jesus Christ. And number three, he says, don't reject the only hope you have of going to heaven one day. Let's stand their feet, please. That's a courtroom sermon. In actuality this is a courtroom today every one of us are on trial and here's the issue have you been born again and when I talk about being born again and when Jesus talked to Nicodemus about being born again he's talking about literally being born again means to be born from above that's what it means that's literally what it means it means to have another birth not an earthly birth physical birth But to be born from above, you need a spiritual birth. You need to be born into God's family. How are you born into God's family? It's by coming to Jesus Christ. Here's what I did on April the 2nd, 1972. In a service a lot like this, I got up and came down. If I was sitting in the back of this building looking to the front, I came right down here to this corner. I knelt. Pastor knelt down beside me. And I had joined the church just the Sunday prior. I'd been baptized when I was 12 years old. Sitting back there that Sunday morning, I knew something. I knew that I was lost, and I knew if I died, I'd go to hell. There was no and ifs about it. And, buddy, when the invitation was given, I went. Because one thing was dead certain, I did not want to go to hell. And I walked down there, and he knelt, and he said, What can I pray with you about? And I remember breaking down and saying, I can't be saved. I know I'm not saved. I want to be saved. He opened the Bible. He took me to Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He talked to me, explained that to me. Turned me over to the book of John and he showed me a verse where the scripture said, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He went back to Rome. We had prayer And when we got through, he said, do you believe God saves you? I said, I think so. And he looked at me and said, we don't want to think, we want to know. And we went back to Romans 10, 13 again. And he said, I want you to read your name in that verse. And I began to read, for if kin shall call upon the name of the Lord, and that's as far as I got. I broke down and I remember just breaking down and saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. What happened at that moment? I didn't pray a prayer, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus Christ. Though many of you did. And that is great. I didn't pray a prayer. But I did something in here. I took Jesus Christ as my Savior. I accepted what He said, that if I'd come to Him, He wouldn't turn me away. And that morning, I accepted Him as my Savior. I want to tell you something. I'm going to heaven one day because of that. And I hope that you've done that if you haven't done that, if you're thinking you're going to go to heaven because you're a church member, then what you need to do is come today and come go through Jesus because that's the only way you're going to get there. If you are thinking you're going to go to heaven one day because you were baptized when you were six or seven years old, then you need to come today and realize that the route to heaven is not through the baptistry. The route to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I've been a good person. Surely God will take my good and it will outweigh my bad. And I want to say, I commend you for being a good person. You ought to be a good person. But good people go to hell. The only way you'll get to heaven is through Jesus. And there may be some in this room today. Get up out of their seat and come. And come down here and let us take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Show you from the scripture how to be saved. That's a trial. That's the issue that Peter was saying to them that day. He said, you've rejected the only hope you have of going to heaven. You've turned him away. Now I say to you this morning, don't do what they did. Don't reject him. Don't say no to him. He wants, listen, you must be saved. And the only way you'll get saved is through Jesus Christ. So you need to come today. You need to come today. If you are saved, then you ought to thank God for the day you came. You ought to thank God. It's Ronnie saying that he came to you one day and found you. Like the psalmist said, he picked me up, lifted me out of the miry clay. I you understand something. You read that psalm and it doesn't have the idea that you got up there and climbed to the edge and he pulled you on out. No, the ideal is he went down into the mire of the pit because you had no way of getting out. He went down in there and brought you out. That's the idea. He brought me up out of the mire, he clearly the scripture said. I was in a meeting somewhere one time. This old fella got up. He's getting ready to sing a song, and he, this way he said, he said, there was a day of my life God jerked me up with the hair of my head, put my feet on a solid rock, put a new song in my heart. And I said to the fellow beside me, I said, I hadn't read that version before, but I like it. There's a day God jerked me up by the hair of the head and put my feet on a solid rock. You ought to do that today. Father, we believe this Bible to be the Word of God. This Bible, Lord, needs no defense. It is its own defense. It declares that Jesus Christ is the Savior. In our day and time, Lord, when it's becoming a very unpopular thing to say that the only way you can go to heaven is through Jesus and the only people who go to heaven are those who have come to Christ. I know that's unpopular, but the devil is grinning from ear to ear. He likes what's going on in our society. But God, I come to you this morning and I've come to these people to remind them that what is important today is what you say. And you say that nobody can be saved apart from Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other name than in the name of Jesus Christ. So today I pray you'd speak to somebody and they're here and they're not saved. May they come. Father, there may be people here today that want to unite with our church. May they come. Whatever the purpose, whatever the reason, there may be people who want to get up out of their seat like some that came a while ago just to worship and thank God for the day you came to them. There may be others who want to get up out of their seat and walk down here and kneel and just thank God that they're saved. Whatever the need, whatever the reason, I pray people respond in Jesus' name. Amen.